Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 1st, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, the forward to the second edition, and we are starting with the second, with the full, I'm sorry, the first full paragraph prior to his journey. Today's readers are Michelle H., Chelsea, and Penny C. The reference number for Tuesday, September 30, is 6920. That's 6920. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrines. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Maura Z to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Katie. This is Maura Z. Recovering compulsive overeater in Virginia. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. <clears throat> Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we've harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, my past. Thank you. I will now ask Alice M. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Alice, a, a compulsive overeater and bulimic from Florida. The 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership 
is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups, or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop sharing what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. The meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XVI, Roman numeral 16, at the first paragraph. I will ask Michelle H. to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Um, Thanks for your service, Katie. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. So um, so we're talking about Bill W. here. It says prior to his journey to Akron. I was just thinking Bill's journey. We all we were all on a journey, but Bill's journey took him to Akron. And um, he had this theory. He had gotten this theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. 
And, um, you know, we know that from Bill's story. And so looking back at Bill's story on page 14, it, it, it tells us, Bill says, while I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what had been so freely given me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. So we got this theory from having had this spiritual experience in the hospital. And then more experience on page 15, he said that, you know, he was not too well at the time, and he was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. And this sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, it says. But I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I have gone to my old hospital in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for a living that works in rough going. So, you know, prior to his journey to Akron, he'd had these experiences and he'd had this theory. And so he, he was in a point in his life where he was having a rough going. He was hoping for this business deal for some financial security and it had failed, it had collapsed, and he felt fearful, you know, those waves of self-pity and despair that we all have at times when, when life seems to not be going the way that I want it to go. But then he had this realization, he was connecting the dots. He had this theory that an alcoholic could help another alcoholic, but he had not been successful yet except in keeping himself sober. So he's connecting the dots. He was feeling the despair, and he, from his past experience, he realized that to save himself, he must carry this message to another alcoholic. And so we know from history his efforts were that having had this realization, and you know we know that he had been practicing the tenets of the Oxford group, and he was connected to that higher power and dependent on that higher power. And his efforts were that he turned away from the bar and that his attention was taken to this church directory. And he did more work. He made phone calls, and he kept calling. And he finally did find someone that he could help. And so his experience is that, you know, to help another alcoholic, that that's how we help ourselves, to give away freely what has been given to us. And on our journey, we all are on our journey, this road of happy destiny, and we all have had that similar experiences, those of us who are recovered. And we're here to share them with, with those who are beginning that journey that, that this, too, will work for you as it has worked for us, that, you know, get recovered. The message is being carried. You know, be open-minded and, and listen to the message that's being carried. And um, this not only saves ourselves, but it saves others. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Okay, who would like to share? Thank you, Michelle H. Who would like to share on this paragraph that was read? Sue G. Okay, Sue G, go ahead. Hello, Katie. Thanks for your service. Thanks, everybody who has and will share and listens, et cetera. It's Sue G, recovered in suburban Philly. And I really like this, um, and of course my big book wants to open to page 26 instead of page 16, um, but what, what we're talking about here is certainly what, what I experienced walking into the doors of OA, which is 
a process of one addict helping another and of the old identifying in that that what has to happen in order for us to get started in a program of recovery is to find some people to identify with, others who have suffered from the same thing. And I remember my particular experience was walking into OA after uh, more than 15 years in another fellowship. And what amazed me in OA is something we sometimes put down in this meeting, which was people talked about themselves. I thought, I'm going to walk in here, and this is just going to be another place where people are going to talk about the diets they're on, and I really don't want that. In fact, I never really went to a group like that because I didn't want that. I didn't, I didn't want to discuss diet. I wanted to discuss what was wrong with me, and were, did I have any friends that had the same problem? And in the rooms, I found people who had the same problem, and some of them were just bantering about, oh, my husband did this and my sister did that and I'm ready to kill my mother and the dog just died, etc. But they also, it was a big book meeting. See, I learned something from my other fellowship, which is also based on the big book of AA, which is study the big book of AA and you'll learn something. And if you learn something, maybe it'll have something to do with what's wrong with you. So that I think that that finding the other alcoholic and uh, identifying in that that's the beginning of the recovery and 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 we need that before before we can go fishing for what we need and before before Leah can reel us in with her fishing line we we need to find someone that can that we can identify with who can attract us to the program thanks for letting me share I pass Okay, who else would like to share on this paragraph? So Larry. Larry. Okay, go ahead, Larry. <clears throat> Good morning. Larry recovered compulsive over here from Chicago. So um yeah, this is this is good stuff because um you know, this is about step twelve um for me, you know, carry this message of hope. You know, it's pretty clear to to anyone who's recovered from this this madness, you know, this hell, that faith without works is dead. And so the message, you know, you know that, that Bill and Dr. Bob received in the 1930s is still true today. Um, you know, a couple of things. First, you know, we, we work these steps to affect spiritual change, a, a complete transformation. And then what happens um, is it eradicate, eradicates the, the effects of this disease. And, and the second part is that once this occurs, it's it's vital that we carry this message, and and not just carry the message. It, it talks about working intensely or strenuously with others um, to maintain this spiritual transformation, and that's what I try to do. That was a missing piece for me. Um, I've seen a lot of people that that maybe they did you know have a spiritual transformation, but then they failed. Um, to work strenuously, uh, vigorously with others, intensely with others, there wasn't that willingness to do that. And, and um, many of them that I, that I know of, um, they seem to, to, to find themselves right back into the disease. So the big book teaches me, you know, something else in this regard. You know, on page 103 it says, um, and I'm informed by this, 
we are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. So it's a little bit contradictory, you know, it, it, it seemed to me so, but now I understand. You know, every, it says every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us. What spirit? A spirit of, of tolerance, kindness, and love. Um, and, and they're immensely relieved when they find that we're not witch burners. So when I show a spirit of intolerance, I actually repel those whose lives could have been saved. And then it goes on, for not one eater in a thousand, I'm, I'm replacing uh, alcoholic with eater, for not one eater in a thousand likes to be told anything about their food by one who expresses hatred of it. So it's, it's kind of, you know, in other words, you know, I, I'm honest in sharing about the grave nature of this disease. Oh, it'll kill you all right. <laughs> there is no doubt. I know that from experience, you know. I was uh, digging my grave with a spoon and knife and a fork. And but it, but I and I and I share about the prescription for getting well, no doubt what's worked for me, what got me well, but I do so always with an attitude of love and tolerance for the person afflicted. You know, I try to rally around the individual with the the same cancer of the spirit that I had. You know, who am I to sit in judgment, handing out a, a you know a divine sentence, if you will? So. You know, my prayer today is you will guide us to peace in the midst of distress. There's people in distress. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Monica. Okay, Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And the line here that's jumped out at me this morning is, he suddenly realized, he suddenly, all at once, realized to impress on the mind that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And what I was thinking was... um, you know, this is a process for a lot of us. And and here, too, this was, even though he'd had the sudden spiritual awakening, uh, spiritual experience, excuse me, back in the hospital, here's some more being revealed to him. And this is a program of progress. And it's in my own experiences, God is always revealing more to me. But um, so he suddenly realized in order to save himself, he must carry this message. And what I see here is action. You know, he had the bright light experience in that hospital room. God came to him in a way that most of us never have. But he still needed to do something here. He still needed to take action and carry this message. He wanted to keep what he'd been given. And um, it says here that, you know, he'd been sober for six months but hadn't succeeded in in, uh, getting the message across to anybody else. And uh, he talked to Dr. Silkworth about this, and Dr. Silkworth said, yeah, yeah, I've been hearing about you going into the bars and pulling drunks off the bar stools and bringing them down to the Oxford group and, you know, trying to pound this spiritual stuff into them. He says, you know, how's that worked for you? And well, it hadn't. And he says, well, why don't you do what I've done with you? I sat down and I explained to you your disease, that you had a disease and that it was a physical aspect of it and the mental aspect. He said, why don't you just start with that? You know, again, like someone else was saying, reel them in with identification with the same problems. So action, action, action. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, 
Thank you. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Well, I'll jump in. Um, Hi, this is Kathy. Okay, go ahead, Kathy. Go ahead, Kathy. Okay, thank you, Katie, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Kathy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And, um, you know, I identify so much with this paragraph uh, when I came to step 12 and realized that to uh, maintain my recovery, um, I would have to um, help others and make that a, a very important part of my life. And I can remember talking to my sponsor about how I didn't feel ready to do that. I did not feel ready to guide other people. I felt like such a new new one in recovery. And um, she pointed me to the chapter on working with others, and she said, bring God with you. And, um, you know, I just little by little started sharing my story, and uh, people uh, started identifying with my story. Um, and then as I started to move forward and trust that I would be given what I needed to help another fellow sufferer, um, I found myself uh, saying things that not only were helpful to another, but also were so helpful to me. Um, that is the miracle of this program, that every time I help another person, I'm also helping myself and strengthening my own recovery. Um, it's become such a part of my program that um, when there's a gap, for whatever reason, um, I miss it. Um, when I'm not thoroughly engaged with others in guiding them through these pages, um, there is a hole in my heart. And uh, this was the beginning. This is what uh, Bill discovered in Akron. And uh, it's become such an important part for all of us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, well, I'll share. Um, I, you know, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater, and it just, there's just nowhere in this big book that says, you know, that the, our results are um, something that we need to, you know, consider as a um, marker of our recovery. You know, all we have to be is willing. You know, um, he realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And, you know, we started this meeting in July of 2012, and my um, recovery has, you know, it just has so much more life in it than it did and, you know, I wasn't a dry drunk. I wasn't on the verge of picking up the food. But sharing my story, even just bits and pieces of it with newcomers and encouraging them and saying, yes, you too can have this thing, gives me life. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I would be morbidly depressed if I thought about all of the people that I have shared my story with who I have no idea what happened to them. You know, I pray for every person that I've ever talked to and that they, 
that seed that was planted will take root. But that is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to answer the phone and to be willing to share um, that there is a solution. And so I'm so grateful that um, they make that so clear in this book, that we are sharing our recovery so that we will stay sober one more day. And, you know, hopefully, uh, God willing, other people will want what we have and will join us. Um, but that is between them and their higher power. And I, I don't have any magic in my back pocket that is going to strike someone else abstinent. What I have is my own experience, strength, and hope. And, um, you know, two and a half decades of experience where I did not find it necessary to pick up the food in order to get through whatever was going on in my life. And, you know, uh, that's what um, Bill is talking about here, that he um, shares with another um, alcoholic in order to carry his message, that there is a way out. And, you know, I am so grateful to be able to do that today. And selfishly, it helps me. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share before we move this on? Is, this is Chris from Boston. Okay, Chris, go ahead. Thank you. Um, my name is Chris. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. This is the first time I've shared, but I've been on the line for um, months. But I just wanted to point out one thing that I heard clearly in this paragraph is the word must. We must do this carry the message in order to recover. And, you know, there's not many musts in the, in the big book. Uh, you know, we, Bill, Bill, in writing this, uh, knew the personality of the alcoholic, which is don't tell me what to do. So they're often used suggestions, we suggest, but I, I really, you know, keyed in on this, that, no, this is a must. And in order to recover and in order to live a happy recovery. We can, you know, be abstinent or sober and be miserable. And so this is a solution. And I just wanted to put out one of the things that I kind of, it, it, I don't know if it's fear or whatever, but I liked what he said about he, he, he tried to help people and no one, no one, no one joined him, but he stayed sober. Because when I think of helping others, I think, oh, oh no, what if, you know, um, what if they eat again or, and I'm going to be devastated. And so I get emotional over that and that kind of holds me back from that. Uh, so it, it, uh, but, but I, I see this, this loud and clear and that, um, the purpose is to help another person, but really the basic, the, the bottom line is that it keeps me abstinent and it, and it, um, it provides service, which is a huge part of this program. So I'm so grateful that I found this big um, this uh, vision for you meeting. It's it's amazing, and I I love getting on it every morning. I've been in fellowship for over 34 years, and this is just fantastic. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Chris. Okay, I will now ask Chelsea to move on to the next paragraph. Disposition. Thank you for your service, Katie. This is Chelsea. Good morning. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for now. 
<laughs> this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to solve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silksworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. He sobered, never to drink again, up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Still Chelsea, still recovered. Um, so this information here now talks about Dr. Bob, and it gives us some insight as to what that experience was when Bill first came to um, bring this message to him, this other piece of the message, because it says that he had repeatedly tried spiritual means. So he had a piece of the puzzle, but he didn't have the whole thing. And the other moving part that uh, Bill brought to him was the nature, the grave nature, the grave nature of alcoholism. So he gave him the bad news, and this is what somebody told me, give him the bad news first. Describe the allergy. Make him want to race for that solution. And that seems to be exactly what he did because he says that it goes on to say here that after he had gotten all the hopelessness, when he saw that he was completely screwed, he turns around and he pursues the spiritual remedy, the 12 steps for his malady with a willingness. And here's that piece that is required from us the willingness that he never was able to muster up before. He just couldn't do it. He was able to have all this spiritual stuff, but he did not understand what he was up against by taking that first drink. So he sobered up, it says, and he never again to, um, to drink again. And this proved, it said, this seemed to prove, it proved that theory up in that other paragraph, the paragraph just above it, the theory they talked about that Bill had. So first he had this theory, and then now he putting it into application, he got the result. And the result was that one alcoholic could work with another, as no non-alcoholic could. And that goes back to that message of depth and weight, the whole deportment of the person that is in front of them that they talked about that brings this message. Same thing with Ebby, his roots, grass, new soil. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it indicated, it says, that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another. So this is not a you know light matter. We're not tiptoeing around or, as I like to say, sauntering about these steps. We're putting them into strenuous work, one with another. And what we do is carry this message. And if we're not carrying it, we will eat it. This is what it says to me here. This is what this information says. It's vital to permanent recovery. And that was a little startling to me at first, that word permanent, because I mistook it for something that would be one and done, that I would get this recovery and that's it. No, every day I have to ante up. I have to kick in every single day. And I have to do strenuous work. And naturally within the time and everything that, you know, life will permit in the stream of life and still also live and practice all these principles. But what it really says to me here in this paragraph for um, my studying purposes and to be cl have clarity is that one piece alone is not enough. You have to have both. They work in conjunction. Spirituality, along with the knowledge of what you're up against, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. And the book does say that. It says that once the um, spiritual malady is, has been uh, overcome, 
that we straighten out bodily and mentally. So this information here is telling me, and oh, one last thing I want to say that really jumps out to me is that Dr. Bob, um, in his story, they talk about how he went out and took care. He really dug into this. He went out and did all his men's amends, got back at midnight. So all that was done in one day. He really, really went into action so that it was no longer just theory without action, which is truly uh, just fantasy. So in order to get results, you have to do what he did. He did what Bill did, and he got the results. So thanks for letting me share, and thanks for your service again. Bye. Thank you, Chelsea. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Yeah, I have May I share? Okay. I heard Janice and Paula. Is there someone else? Paula. Okay, one at a time, please. Fasa. Fasa. Sharon H. And there was someone else? Patty. Pardon me? Patty. Oh, Patty. Okay. Okay, so I have Janice, Paula, Vasa, Sharon H., and Patty. Go ahead. Janice. Was it Janice or Penny? Okay, Paula, how about if you go ahead? Okay, I will put myself here. Thank you. This is Paula, impossible reader. You know, as we read this, and, and oh, I could read this again and again. I mean, here it says, with a willingness he never had before been able to muster. He couldn't get it together. I love what was said about the pieces of the puzzle. You know how frustrating it is when you're putting a puzzle together, and you're sitting there and you go, there's another piece here. But I don't know where the heck the piece is. And then the piece is revealed. And you put it in. Finally, he sobered never to drink again. This is huge. Up to the moment of his death in 1950. Yet we see, even here, a transformation. A transformation from the life he lived to the life he lived until his death. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic, this is huge, could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. I've walked there. I've been there. I've done that. Jeez, that opens every door. And you listen differently. You know, I want to go to Dr. Bob's story. And yes, it is at the end of the book or the beginning of the second part of the book. Of far more importance. As important as it was, but even more important was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard, in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. Not, well, you know, I think, or it looks to me like, no, I've been there. I've been there. I know. Something happens only then. Talk with anyone, anyone. I don't care if they've lost a child, whatever it is, and somebody else comes to them that has lost a child or comes to that same place, they listen more closely. You mean you really know? You know? And that's what it was. He knew. He knew. In other words, it says, he talked my language, and that's what it is, to finally, I know, go to a foreign country 
and somebody finally says, oh, I understand what you're saying. What relief. Then they can give you guidance and directions in a language you understand, and that's what this big book does. And I want to end with, it also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, on both parts. I'll be very clear here. On both parts was vital to permanent recovery. Thank you. And for allowing me to share with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Vasa, you're next. Yes, thank you, Katie, for your service. And I am Vasa, recovered compulsive Ovida, and I'm calling from um, Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I'm so grateful that we are back to the beginning of the big book right now. It brings me back where I was many, many, many years ago coming. <clears throat> and I, I did start it with the big book because we didn't have as much OA literature. So I was grateful that people that were alcoholics and compulsive overeaters could lead me and read the big book. And the big book, it's, it's, it's written in a way that I can understand it. I come from another country, but it doesn't matter. Even if they had it over, I, I wouldn't have been able to understand stuff from regular people that didn't have my addiction. And uh, after suffering for 20 years trying to control it and to manage my food addiction, I just could not do it. And it's not like people didn't help me. The doctors helped me. I went to diet workshops. I went everywhere. It did work for a little bit, but I always gave into the food addiction. And I thank God that God put somebody in my life that had gone through the process. And she showed me. She 12-stepped me. And uh, I did come just for the physical. I just wanted to lose the weight, and I was going to leave, you know. And the more I heard about it, it's a threefold. It's physical, emotional, spiritual. And I remember saying, you know, I better stay here because I had heard people share that they did come and stayed for a while and they left and they regained their weight and they were too ashamed to come back. And they were going to, I had a friend, I'm, when I lose the weight, then I'm going to come back because there's a shame attached to it. And I experienced that shame. So this was my last stop, you know, coming to Overeaters Anonymous. I had given, after trying for so long, so many years, I had given up, you know. There's nothing more for me until left. For me, it was live and die. So it for me, it was live. Do you take, do you want to live, Vasa, or you want to die? Well, I chose to live. I had a child, two or three years old, and I had two other older children. And I said, you know, if I don't do something about this, I'm going to die, you know. And uh, I started identifying with people. I felt at home when I came to OA. People started talking about themselves, you know. And I didn't feel comfortable talking about myself. But when I heard them, gradually, little by little, I started opening up. And my sponsor said, okay, Vasa, now you've got to give it away. What God is providing you in this program, you have to give it away. And that's my service. That's my mission, just to help another compulsive overeater. And again, it's extend my hand. Whatever they do with it, it's none of my business, you know. I mean, I love everybody to come 
and do what I'm doing. But, you know, they have to be ready. I was so, so ready and I was so, so willing to do. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to die. So, you know, I'm just so grateful just to go back again to see where I was and where I am today. So I'm just sharing my experience, my experience, strength, and hope to give another human being there is hope where that I felt there was no hope. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, Sharon H., your turn. Thank you, Katie. Can you hear me? I always get screwed up trying to unmute. Yes. Yeah, I oh, hear you. Okay. This is Sharon H. in Colorado, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Katie, for your service, and I just want to welcome everyone out on the line. I just wanted to hone in on this. Um, this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. And that's exactly what happened to me. I, you know, I, I'm not a newcomer. I've been around the program, began in 1981, had been obsessed with food, weight, and dieting since I was uh, a young adolescent girl. And I just was not able to um, get it. And by God's grace, when I began listening in July 2012, it was just like this flashlight went off in my head, and I know that was God's flashlight shining into my mind about the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body that I had regarding this compulsive overeating addiction, and that was what I didn't understand. I was still trying to make it work in my own strains, and I had none, and so I failed over and over again, so I still... Uh, tried to build a foundation on a lie, and it just wouldn't work. And so I am just so grateful that God, you know, it's just written all over in these two paragraphs. Here's um, Bill, barely six months sober, as a result of a business trip, has to be in Akron, Ohio. The business uh, venture totally fails. He's He's just so tense and upset, and he's so afraid he's going to drink, but he makes that decision by God's, uh, spirit upon him to to call a church and find out if there's someone he can talk to rather than go into the bar and get that, you know, quote-unquote, we think temporary relief that will uh, solve all our problems. And so I am just so grateful to be a part of this vision for you, OA vision for you, and to be in this big book and studying it and what a difference it has made in my life and to know that I have the privilege now to go through this book with others. And and uh, it just means so much to me that it is. It's a voluntary must, but it's freely given, and we get that privilege to freely give it to others. And it's vital for our permanent recovery. And uh, so I am just so grateful to be a part of this um, daily big book study and the difference that it has made in my life, and I'm just seeing it make such a difference in the lives of so many others. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, Patty, your turn. Yes, can you hear me? Hello? Yes, Patty, we can hear you. Okay, thank you so much. My name is Patty, and I am from California, 
and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I would like to talk about a couple of sentences in here. The physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but has failed. Why well, can relate to the physician? I would get on my knees every day and beg God to help me. Please relieve me of the food obsession. And I would just eat right after I got off my knees. I would go to the kitchen and eat. Um, sometimes in the middle of eating, I'd get on my knees. But it never helped. I tried the spiritual means, but I never tried the program of action. What I did was I would do this, the, the tools. And every time I'd break, I would get some abstinence and I would break, and they'd say, just work the tools harder. Just work the tools harder. Call more people. Do the tools. And I would do the tools, and I would start sponsoring, and I would pass the tools on to my sponsees. And none of my sponsees were staying abstinent. I wasn't staying abstinent. And all of a sudden, when I got on this um, on this uh, phone meeting and heard that the program of action, and I started to take the action, my life changed. And today I'm abstinent. Such a miracle. I can't believe it. The obsession has left me. I feel so grateful. And the last sentence, this seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, hard work, could uh, one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery. Vital is life-sustaining. This is life-sustaining for me. If I don't do this every day, if I don't work with another alcoholic or another food addict every day, I will go back to the food. I know it. I just can't turn anyone away uh, that asks me because I know that if I don't help the next suffering person, I will be the next suffering person. Thank you, and I will pass. May I share? Thank you, Patty. Yes, uh, go ahead. Sarah, is that Sarah? Yes, thank you. Thank you for your service today, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, oh, wow. Uh, well, I, you know, the part that, that comes into my mind is the very last part of this last sentence. Um, one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery. The idea of permanent recovery, can you imagine that? Um, Because I couldn't. Um, Like everybody said, you know, we all come in with different stories, but really our stories are the same. We don't come in here because we're we're happy, joyous, and free. We come in here because we're miserable, you know, not only with the food, but, you know, our life has become unmanageable um, in so many different areas. And... um, there is a solution, and that's the great news. And um, going back to uh, going to page 85, where it says um, that it says we are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Can you imagine not having any feeling like you want to overeat? That happens for us. Uh, Most of us have been in the program a long time or have been alive a long time, and we come in with a disease that has been working in us for a long time. And it says right here that um, we are neither cocky nor are we afraid. This is our experience. 
the problem has been removed. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And it is easy to let up on a spiritual program of action, rest on our laurels. Um, we are headed for trouble if we do. You know, I, I did that. Uh, I, I had five years of clean abstinence. I was working with others, and I just um, got cocky and thought I was okay and um, forgot that I was a real compulsive overeater and ended up in relapse, and uh, it is progressive. You know, I came in at 222 and got down to in my 160s. I'm a five foot eight woman, and I got up back up to 278. And it was an ugly place to be. And uh, now I'm normal sized again in my 160s again. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, it is a daily reprieve, um, contingent on the spiritual maintenance of our spiritual condition. And... Um, I'll just read the last little part because I think it's important. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. So I invite you, um, if you're struggling, to, um, you know, if you keep doing what you keep doing, you'll keep getting what you keep getting. And if you think that you can be a little bit more open-minded and try something new, maybe this will work for you. It can, because believe me, I didn't come in here because I was any great shakes. I mean, we all we all came here because we had a problem, and there is a solution. With that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sarah. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Leah. Okay, Leah, go ahead. All right, thank you, Katie, for your service. I wanted to focus in on that uh, statement, but when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. Obviously, this is a quick overview of the history, you know, between uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And, you know, Bill W. had those components now, those pieces came together where he had the problem, uh, you know, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind from Dr. Silkworth. He had the solution that was offered to him uh, from Ebby regarding a simple religious idea. And, of course, he had the program of action that was offered uh, through the Oxford group. So he was able to convey that. You know, he was able to communicate that. And, of course, Dr. Silkworth had advised him, you know, don't start off with the spiritual business. You know, don't start talking about uh, absolute honesty and purity and love. Give him the medical business first. You know, deflate his ego first. And, uh, you know, give him the medical business and give it through identification, then, and that's exactly what Bill W. did. You know, we turn the screws through the seriousness of our own experience, through relaying the progression and experience of our own illness. We turn the screws, and we aim to create a crisis when we speak to that new prospect, and that's exactly what happened. He deflated, uh, you know, Dr. Bob there uh, with that seriousness and, and of alcoholism and its hopelessness and then gave the spiritual uh, solution. And, of course, these men <laughs> who uh, 
had been enslaved totally by alcoholism rose up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I mean, it goes on to say he sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death. And, of course, we know that was true with Bill W. also. Bill didn't die until uh, January 71, and we know that Bill didn't find it necessary, like Dr. Bob, to take another drink. These men recovered. The problem was solved. And this is not about ordinary religiosity or ordinary faith. This is transformation. This goes beyond just knowing information and beyond knowledge. This is an experience that these men had. Uh, powerlessness set the stage for the spiritual experience that they both had. And of course, that's why we get charged up. <laughs> you know, when, when I come and, you know, speak on this line or others do as well, you know, we don't get charged up about ourselves. We get charged up about us. I get charged up about a vision for us, you know, what is possible through this program of recovery. Just like something came between me and compulsive overeating more than 27 years ago, if your problem is that you're powerless over food and you're tired of living an unmanageable life, we have a recovery process that doesn't need to stand on trial. And you know what? It's sitting right in front of you in these pages. This is a recovery process where your sanity will return, your problem with compulsive overeating will be removed, you will be given a power uh, that you can use properly, you'll be given a sixth sense beyond the five that you've uh, been used to being dominated by, and you'll be given the grace to maintain a fit spiritual condition. And that's all found within these pages, and this book is designed to bring about that experience. For you, just like it was offered to me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Okay, we have time for one more person who would like to do that. Sally? This is Sally, Diane. Go ahead. Thank yours. you. Okay, Sally and then Diane. Thank you. And then that's it. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, and I um, have been just really blessed to listen to this this morning, all these great shares, and um just want to chime in, I guess, and say uh, uh, one thing about this paragraph here. Well, well, two things about this paragraph here. Dr. Silkworth um, is telling us how beautifully these, these puzzle pieces are put together in this man's mind. Um, here he's been, like me, probably laying face down on his kitchen floor, begging God, help him, help him, because he knows how uh, how powerless he is. He he knew he was powerless. He had tried the spiritual means, and, and I imagine, like me, he had been begging God, help me, for a long time. But it wasn't until he got this other piece of the puzzle from Bill W. Um, that he finally gets what's wrong. And right away, you see this guy, it's like he's rolling up his sleeves, and he's taking action, and he says, the physician began to pursue. It's like he's, he's got it. He knows what he has to do now because he understands what the problem is. So he's pursuing the spiritual remedy because now that he knows, okay, now I know I've got this allergy. I've got this mental obsession. I've got to stop altogether once and for all, put this drink down, and now he's going to pursue the spiritual remedy. I love that word, pursue. 
for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. The word muster, what a beautiful word. These guys are such wordsmiths. Muster means gather, summon, raise. With a willingness he had never before been able to gather, summon, raise, muster. But I love this part. It goes on to say this seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work. You know, that word strenuous work, it's relative. What is strenuous work to you might not be strenuous work to me. Is strenuous work that we just take the garbage out? Is strenuous work that we, we, we keep it clean, we keep it neat, we decide I'm going to work with one person at a time. And not to say that there's anything wrong with working with one person at a time. But when I read these words, it also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital, essential to permanent recovery. Because I never want to go back there. So when I read these words, I want you to know that when someone comes to me, I don't just glibly say to myself, no, I'm done. I got too much. I can't do more. I pray. I always pray because if if something comes to me, I have to pray. Why? Why is it coming to me? Is, Is it possible that God wants me to take on this situation? And I just want to end by sharing page 94, top of the page, because it's ever on my mind. This particular, this particular area where it says um, about five lines down. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital, there it is again, essential, a vital part in your own recovery, actually. He may be helping you more than you are helping him. Make it plain. He is under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes, escapes his own difficulty. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Okay, well, thank you. And I apologize, Diane, but we are out of time, so if you wouldn't mind staying, and um, you can share in the second hour. No worries. Thank you. Good morning, okay. everybody. Thank you. Um, okay. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Thank you. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.